It's a blessing. Appreciate that. I'm going to do the Bible reading this morning just because uh, Deuteronomy chapter, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and it's just kind of necessary that I go through this whole chapter here uh, in order to uh, kind of explain a principle that I want us to learn from. I'm continuing a series that started a couple weeks ago about challenges in the promised land. God has blessed our church. He's brought us to a good place, and if we're not careful, we can find ourselves just satisfied and comfortable where we're at and then get growing complacent, and then we're going to end up getting ourselves in trouble. And even though the children of Israel were in the promised land, it didn't mean there weren't still challenges out there. And so we're going to look at uh, another challenge that I believe we need to be watching out for, that we need to be ready to take on, that even though we are in a good place in our church and that God is blessing us, that we've got to watch out for this or we can kill this church. And I don't care, a church can die. And I know the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, meaning, you know, the work that started there back then, it's going to go until Jesus Christ comes back. That doesn't mean Liberty Baptist Church might cease to exist as an organization. And, you know, we can actually still be here as an organization and can be contributing nothing to the cause of Christ. God can remove our candlestick. We're doing nothing. But, you know, we're here officially, legally, as far as the earth is concerned. And I don't want that. We want the Lord on our side. And so let's go ahead and look. At verse 1 of Deuteronomy 7, it says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. And you say, well, this is kind of racist. Why is God doing this? Well, there's a reason. And he said, for they will turn away thy son from following thee, and they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, Burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the earth, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So we need to understand too, remember, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, when this is given, when the book of Deuteronomy is given, this is when they were about to enter the promised land. This is after they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses is about to pass off the scene. Joshua is about to take over. And so again, they're being reminded of the law that God had given them uh, in Mount Horeb, and they're just kind of reinforcing some things. And so these are very clear instructions that are given where we don't see exceptions. He's saying, make no covenant. Do not marry these people. Don't make agreements with them. Utterly destroy. That's what God said to do. And it says in verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him, and keep His commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate Him to their face, and destroy them that he will not be slack to them, him that hateth him, he will repay him to his face. 
Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore, it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and thy mercy which he sware unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn, thy wine, thine oil, the increase of thy kind, and of thy flocks, of thy sheep, in the land which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay upon all them that hate thee. Notice how good it would have been for Israel if they would have just obeyed God in these things. These are some good promises, but they were conditional, weren't they? And don't make me go through the whole history of Israel. Did they keep these things? No, they didn't. Verse 16, Thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them. Neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. If thou shalt say in thine heart, These nations are more than I. How can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt well remember what the Lord thy did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Now, one thing we know and we're going to see, Israel did not follow this command. And many reasons they didn't is because a lot of times the people were too many. But was that a factor with God? No, God said, don't worry about the numbers of them. You do it. Remember what I did for you in Egypt. I don't care how many there are. Do it. God gave them very specific instructions. When you possess this land, you get rid of all of them. And even if it's impossible for you to do, it's possible for me to do. Get it done. No excuse. The great temptations which thine eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all people of whom thou art afraid. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them until they that are left and hide themselves from thee be destroyed. There are such things as murder hornets. God said it. And uh, God said, I'll, I'll use them. I'll use them. It says, Thou shalt not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings unto thine hand and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before them until thou have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thy house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. So folks, Deuteronomy chapter 7 is really clear. God did not want any of these people in the land. God wanted no marriages being done between these people. Now, God did tell them, don't utterly destroy it all at once because he didn't want the land getting overtaken. But basically what God's saying here, as soon as you're ready for this land, when you're ready to take, when you need it, when you have, you're ready to take possession, get them. And my blessing is on you. You will win. Okay, and so the thing is, Israel did not do that. Okay, they, these people were supposed to be destroyed. 
they were supposed to go completely away because if they didn't go completely away, eventually they were going to come back. And God did not want Israel ever to be infected with the sins of these people in any way. And so they weren't supposed to compromise. God said, don't make any covenants with them. But you know what they did? And I'm not going to go through all the examples of that in the scriptures. There are a lot. But here, here's the thing. A inter, very interesting study to do sometime is when you're reading through these stories, go read every time they did make a covenant. Every time they didn't utterly destroy them. And you know what you need to do? You need to make a note of who those people were. And you know what you always find out? Later on in the Bible, there was a major, major conflict because of those people. And if they would have obeyed God, you know, back when God told them to utterly destroy them, that problem later never would have come. And there's so many examples. If I want to give you one real good example, go to Joshua chapter 11. Because Joshua, you know, he obviously was a great man, did wonderful things for God. Nobody here today is saying anything negative about Joshua. He was one of the best there ever was. Joshua is an example, is one of the few examples that we can think of, that I can think of in the Bible, where he actually was more successful in many ways than the man before him, Moses. I mean, God gave Joshua a lot of great victories. I think the only other example was Solomon. You know, he took the kingdom to a whole nother level, you know, but then he messed up later in his life. But it's, it's very rare that you see something like this. Joshua was a great man, but you know, Joshua wasn't perfect. Joshua didn't do everything that God told him to do. And the things that Joshua didn't do caused problems later for Israel after Joshua was gone. It says in Joshua eleven twenty one, and at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of, uh, uh, there was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their division by their tribes, and the land rested from war. So Joshua did a very good thing here, but notice there's still some people left. There's three groups that are mentioned that are left, Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod, where they still had some Anakims left. Those were the giants that were in the land that they were supposed to utterly destroy. Now, Judges 16, verse 1, we have a famous story of Samson. And notice this story says, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. But the Philistines took him and put out, and then verse 21, the Philistines took him, put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Now, we know all the battles that took place with the Philistines. We know about this great battle in Gaza where Samson, after he got his eyes poked out, remember his hair began to grow, he prayed to God and he ended up smiting all these people. But did you know all those people that Samson smote, what were they doing around? All those problems that happened during Samson's day were from a people that should have been destroyed years before. But they weren't completely destroyed. So guess what? We've got a sad story you know, where a lot of bad things happen. But again, God was merciful and God gave Israel victory. And that's one thing you're going to see too throughout the Old Testament. Israel messes up, but God's merciful and helps them anyway. But it's not without Israel suffering a lot. And so here's another. So Gaza was mentioned. Also, Gath was mentioned. Does anybody remember somebody from Gath that caused Israel a whole bunch of problems? 
I think we all know who that is. First Samuel 17, 4. And there went out a champion out of the city of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Now, I'm thankful for the story of David and Goliath, but in reality, that story never should have happened. But you know, it did happen. And, and so, what's that a picture of? We can go ahead and mess up and, you know, no, it's God's merciful. God's merciful. Thank God He's merciful. If you've messed up, if you haven't done something God said, you know, thank God He doesn't just give up on us. But do we really want to get in these messes that God has to get us out of? I'd rather not. I'd rather just skip that completely. And, and so the last one He mentions is Ashdod. And in 1 Samuel 5, 1, it says, And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And you all know, you all know that story. But notice who these people are having trouble with? Ashdod. Another people that didn't get utterly destroyed in Joshua's day. In Nehemiah chapter 12, a, a famous story in Nehemiah in, ver, or, uh, in chapter 13. In verse 23, it says, In those days also saw I Jews that had married the wives of Ashdod and Ammon and of Moab, and their children speak spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I had contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. I wish preachers were allowed to do that today. When people don't listen, we can start hitting them, pulling our hair, things like that. Made them to swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto the sons, unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Did not Solomon, the king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among, and isn't that what God said would happen? If you take these people for wives, this is what's going to happen. Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. So, I mean, everything God said would happen in Deuteronomy chapter 7, it happened because of their disobedience. And look at the promises that they missed out on. I mean, no sickness, no barren women, no barren cattle. I mean, these are some pretty good blessings right there. You know, when CNN's announcing that everybody needs to panic because of the next, you know, COVID virus coming on, they're like, you know, we're all good. <laughs> hey, we got rid of all those people God said to get rid of. We've been obedient to them. It's not going to bother us. That's what they could have said back then. But you know what? They had problems. They had plagues sometimes that God brought on them because of their, because of their disobedience. And so, uh, you know, Judges chapter one, if you read Judges chapter one, pretty much the whole chapter, it's just going through and talking about uh, all the people that they took over these Canaanites and just put them under tribute. It, that wasn't good either. Well, we can kill these people or we can use them as slaves. We can make money off of them. But the problem is all those people caused problems for them later. Instead of depending on these people to just kind of be money makers for us, they should have just depended on God who promised that He would take care of them. But they, they just didn't do it. And it got them in trouble. So, you know, and thankfully, if we fail, and we will, you know, God can still come through for us later. But the truth is, there are some battles, there's some defeats that would just never happen if we would just do what we were told to do in the first place. And so, how does all this apply to us today? As a church, because figuratively speaking, you know, I believe we're in the promised land. You know, things are good. And, and many times, you know, we get comfortable and you know what we do? We see enemies on the horizon and we choose to ignore the problems 
because we want to stay comfortable. You know, we don't want to fight this battle right now. But the problem is, if we don't fight the battles right now that God has called us to fight, then it's just going to be a bigger battle later on. And you know what? I can imagine, I can totally understand why these people would have been just tired of fighting. You know, just after all these battles they're fighting, and you know, they have these great victories. Hey, we got all this land. This is good. Yeah, but those people over there, they're wicked people and they're growing people. Yeah, but they're not a problem right now. They're not going to hurt us. Yeah, but if they keep growing like that, they're going to hurt the next generation. You need to go fight them. You need to go take care of that. And I, and I think in their minds, it's like, you know, man, we've been fighting for years. We've just got out of the wilderness. You know, can we just, can we just have some peace for a while? But no, they did, they got lazy. And I'm afraid that's how it is today. And while a lot of churches are dying, there are battles that we have been called to fight. But too many times, the pastors in the church and the people in the church are like, we don't want to fight this right now. You know, when J. Frank Norris, when he became pastor of the First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, um, I believe there was only one dissenting vote. Oh, there was one person that voted against him becoming the pastor. And I won't be able to quote the, uh, the man wrote a letter to the church saying he was going to support you know, the church's decision. But at the same time, he put out a warning to the church. Say, and one of the things he said in there, he said, we are at peace with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if we bring this guy in, mark my words, we're going to have a battle like we've never had before. And, and the thing is, that guy was right. You know, J. Frank Norris fought a lot of battles. But you know what? They were battles that needed to be fought. And you know what? That guy was right. They were at peace with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But you know what? We haven't been called to be at peace with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've been called to contend against these things. But so many churches today, they're like, ah, you know, I, I, I see things are getting bad in the world, but you know, if we can just be more like them and be more friendly, you know, we'll change the world with our, our just smile and our charm and our sweetness. And, you know, they'll, when they come in here and they see us with our skinny jeans on and our hipster look and everything, they're, they're going to say, man, these people are just like us and we're just going to be liked and they're going to like us so much they're never going to want to attack us. And folks, first off, that's just not how that works. That's not how that works. And we need to understand there's been some things that we have been called to fight. And if we don't, if we ignore these problems, we're going to have bigger problems later. And, you know, this is tough for pastors, too, because, you know, pastors, a lot of times, are in the, you know, they're in the front lines. They lead these things. And the people in the church is like, ah, I'm, I'm, you know, do we have to be fighting more battles? Can't we just hear one sermon about love and grace? And, you know, can't we just have one week, you know, where we're just we're not fighting some kind of battle? But I'm telling you, we've got to fight these things when they come, when they come up. We cannot ignore battles. And that is a danger that we have in the promised land of just getting comfortable, seeing problems, and ignoring them. We can't do that. And so what are some things that are, I believe, I'm going to look at some things I think are killing churches today. Uh, some specific things that are being ignored. And if we do, we're going to kill our church. We will kill this church if we ignore it. If we don't ignore it, we're going to have a battle. We might even have some casualties, but overall, we'll be better off. We'll be stronger. We will actually make it. And when Israel would fight these battles, I mean, sometimes there would be casualties. Sometimes there would be a loss that would take place. But overall, they were always better off when they fought these battles. And we can't ignore these things. So the first thing we got to remember, turn over to first Corinthians chapter five. We can't ignore these things. And I know sometimes you're going to get tired. Say, I'm tired of fighting battles. I'm tired of people hating on us. You know, why can't we just be more liked? 
You know, Pastor, tell me why. You know, why is it? You know, do we really have to be the most hated church in town? Can't we be like, you know, second most hated? That way, all the focus can be on somebody else. You know, why? Why, why do we have to do that? And, and folks, I get it. You know, I I don't go looking for battles, except with trendies. I just like fighting with them. I I don't go looking for battles. I I want to, uh, you know, I, I like peace as much as anybody else. I like smooth sailing. I like calm waters as much as anybody else, but I'm telling you, there's this sin is always out there. Enemies are always out there. The devil's always looking for an opening. When we have to be vigilant. And in first Corinthians chapter five it says in verse one, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication that it's not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Paul is telling these people, you got to keep sin out of the camp. And that's another problem we see. We're not going to go to the examples. In Israel's day, when they would have sin in the camp, it would bring a curse on the camp. Remember the story of Achan? He took of the accursed thing. And you know what? It hurt all of Israel when he did that. And it wasn't until they got rid of the accursed thing that God was able to work with them again and they could be successful in their battles. And we've got to understand that, you know what? Because we're sinful people, there are going to be times when people that are in our church, people that are a part of our family, people that we love and that we care about dearly, they are going to get in the flesh. They are going to rebel against God. They're going to be disobedient. And if they're, and, and you know what we have to do? We've got to confront it. And you know what? And this is why it's not happening in most churches. Because you know who usually gets to lead that charge? It's usually the pastor. You know, and let me tell you, it's, it's no fun doing that type of thing. It's no fun going and telling somebody, hey, I know you're sleeping around. You know, no, I, we know we know you're doing this type of thing. It's no fun being the bad guy and telling people this sin is not acceptable. You need to repent of this. And if they don't repent of it, you know what? It's no fun. You know, bringing the witnesses. It's no you know, uh, and and dealing with them again, giving them another admonition. It's no fun bringing people in, in before the church. Did you know most of the time when that type of thing happens too in churches, one of the reasons churches don't want to do it is because it almost always results in multiple people going. Because it's always that person that everybody loves in the church. You know, there's that person everybody loves. And, oh, please don't do it. You know, please don't kick these people out of the church. Please don't do that. And the pastor, he knows he needs to do it. But he's like, if I do, I know how it is. You know, we got, you know, you got all these factions in the church and these people are probably going to go and these people, are, you know, those people go, they're real close to this family and they're probably going to go too. I don't know if we're ready to fight that battle right now. You know, we're all we're in financial problems. We've got all these things going on and, you know, we've, you know, we've got this building payment and all these things and, ah, you know, Lord, I, if I fight this battle, I think I could kill our church. No, you're going to kill the church if you don't fight the battle. And yes, you might take a hit, but you know what? Take the hit. You have to take the hit. We've got to take the hit. We've got to keep sin out of the camp. There's things that God told us. He does, know, he does not want those things to be once named among us. He says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote unto you in an epistle, not the company with fornicators. 
yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must he needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no, not to eat. That's not fun. No, I, I, and listen, we love the people that are in our church. And it is. It is a heartbreaking thing. It is not fun. Do not feel, it does not make me feel good when I got to tell people, you got to get out, you got to get right. And I'm always nice about it too. Usually all I've ever had to do, especially when it's been like people shacking up and things like that, you know, I just go tell them nicely. This is, this is how I've done it every time. You know, the, you guys shouldn't be living together. You need to make a decision whether or not you want to get married or separate. And if you choose to get married, you know, I'll, I'll perform the marriage and everything. You know, we'll do a private ceremony or whatever. Uh, but the, if not, you know, you guys need to separate. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be able to come to the church. And so, um, you know, let's, let's start making plans, you know, to get married. And that's what I was doing. I was leaving with that. I'll give you time to, you know, figure these things out. You know what? They usually don't come back. <laughs> so, because I don't like telling people, get out of here. I, I don't enjoy that. Because I don't want them to get out of here. But I, what I do tell them, this is what you have to do. And I always do it like I assume they're going to do the right thing. And I hope they do. But they, a lot of times they just don't. And... So, man, that's just not very hip and trendy. And, you know, I think we need to be gracious. Jesus ate with the publicans and sinners. But I'm sorry. This is very clear right here. And I'll go out there and I'll eat with publicans and sinners and I'll tell them about Jesus. But if we've got people in our church, in the, among, in the assembly, in the house of God, that are in open rebellion as, as children of God, that needs to be dealt with. You know why? Because a little leaven leaven at the whole lump. It spreads. It grows. And that's what Paul was saying here. Hey, what's so bad about this? It's not just the fact that he did such a bad thing, but it won't stop just with what he did. This will grow and it will be a greater problem in the church. So you've got to deal with this. You've got to deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And that sounds terrible. But you know what? In 2 Corinthians, we see that guy got restored. He was encouraging him to restore that man because he repented. And you know, aren't people going to be better off if they repent of their sins? Aren't people going to be better off if they stop fornicating and stop committing adultery? Isn't, isn't that going to be good for people? So yeah, I got to sound mean. You know, we're going to look like a terrible church again online when they're on Facebook posting, you know, that they kicked me out of that church because, I, you know, they don't approve of my you know, lifestyle. And all their friends are going to get on there. What kind of crazy cult is that? We're going to get accused of all kinds of things. And then once again, here comes the mobs on Facebook. Here comes all the homos and everything on Facebook just coming after our church. What kind of crazy cult only? And then we fight that battle again. You all have to go to work. Hey, I heard about your church. I saw that on Facebook. You know, you've all been there before. We got to go out soul winning and, you know, we got to run into people that, you know, know who we are, you know, just walking by their house, gay pride, you know, they're saying all those things. And, you know, we got to deal with that stuff. These are battles we don't necessarily want to fight, but it would be a hundred times worse if we didn't fight them. We, we don't want that. We don't want that kind of thing being acceptable. Because, I mean, think about, think, think about this for a minute. 
Think about how we feel, you know, about the sodomites and just how wicked and disgusting and how much, how much we hate that, all right, and how much we're disgusted by them. But think about this. Imagine one of these little children in here that we love and adore becoming that very thing that we just hate and despise. You know, that's hard for me. You know, it's one thing, you know, hating on somebody that's a perfect stranger, but somebody from in here to turn into that, man, you know, we're keeping that stuff as far away from here as we possibly can. Because we don't, we know what could potentially happen. See, that wouldn't happen. Yes, it would. Even men like Solomon was brought down by the wrong kind of women that God told them to keep out of the land, not to marry. Solomon disobeyed and it caused problems. And if we allow these type of sins and these, uh, to go on amongst our people as a church, it will come back and it will hurt us greatly. It will destroy us. So um, we're just going to have to continue dealing with those battles. We're going to have to continue being called all kinds of nasty things and being the most unpopular church in town and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's going to be us. We're going to get all the nasty labels. We're going we're gonna to deal with all the hate. But you know what? At the same time, we're going to keep going forward. And all these problems that our world's dealing with, all these problems that other churches are dealing with, where they've got all their teenagers getting pregnant, where they've got their young people turned into homos, where they've got all this divorce and all these things running rampant in their churches, we're going to be over here not dealing with any of those diseases. You know why? Because we did what God said to do. You realize if we do what God says to do in these areas, we won't deal with the consequences that come with not doing them. Hey, we won't be immune from COVID-19, but you know, it'd be nice if we could have some immunity from, you know, all these marriage problems and fornication, all that kind of stuff. And it won't be a problem here. Well, you know, we'll be that, we'll continue being that church that elderly people come in here all the time and visit and they're like, look at all the young people. Look at all the kids. That we're, that we're going to continue being that church. Now, why are they always shocked when they see that? Because their church quit fighting battles a long time ago and they've lost this generation. They've lost the young people. They're, they're just not there anymore. They, they don't exist. These churches are literally dying out because it's only elderly people in the church. You know why? Because they quit fighting battles that they were supposed to fight. And here, here's where they're at. And so we're going to... Because that's the thing. While we get a lot of negative publicity about our church, we also... When it comes to people from this community that visit this church, there's constant comments about how we are an exception to many of the churches in so many ways. They're, they're always amazed by that. It's like, why isn't the same thing happening to your church as happening in all the other churches? I'll tell you why. Because we're not doing things the same way. In fact, you want to find out why God's blessing our church in a way He's not blessing the other church? Just go find out why everybody hates us. And all those reasons people hate us are why we don't, you know, why, why we're not having those same problems. Because we're actually dealing with these things. We're fighting these battles, and it's going to make us look bad to the world, but we're interested in just looking good to God. And so we're going to keep doing it. So we're not going to avoid sin in the camp. Another thing, too, uh, turn over to Acts chapter 20 and verse 29. Unfortunately, Churches are ignoring enemies within the camp. And, and these don't have to be necessarily immoral people, but just people with bad doctrine. People trying to uh, steer people away. Paul said in Acts 20, 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the fault, flock, also of your own selves, 
shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul said people are going to, wicked people from the outside are going to come in and they're going to try to cause problems. And people are going from within are going to rise up. People who are maybe just kind of neutral, you know, had no intention of becoming a problem, but because of sin in their life, because of bad teaching, all of a sudden they become that sinful man. They become that grievous wolves. They start teaching perverse things, starting to cause division, trying to bring, uh, you know, recruit disciples after themselves. And we've got to understand there's going to be these people that come. When we take them out, other people are going to go out with them. Not just the, you know, the sinful people that mess up morally. No, the people with the false doctrine. They're always going to come in. They're always going to start, you know, in secret, privately, telling everybody about their weird beliefs that they have, just trying to cause division, trying to get a few disciples. And when we find out who they are, it's going to be somebody who's liked because you don't draw disciples after you when you're not likable. There's a reason people are able to do that because they're likable. You know, we always picture these people as the raving lunatic nut job in the church that nobody likes that sits by himself because he smells weird or something, right? It's, you know, no, that's not who it is. Okay? It's going to be the more charismatic individual. It's going to be the one who, you know, is, is very likable and, and has that appeal. And they're going to do this. And when we do, when we have to start taking these people out because they won't repent of their bad doctrine, others are going to go with them. And then, you know, you might not have cared about that individual that much, but you cared about some of these other individuals who got drawn out. And then you're going to get tempted to get bent out of shape. And that's what, and, and pastors are smart. Hey, they know their congregations, and I, I wasn't trying to compliment myself there, but, but you know, Pat, let me say it this way. Pastors aren't stupid, okay? They know how it is. They know if I throw this person out of the church, this family is going to go with them. If that family goes, it's going to cause problems with this family. And they can, they can see down the road. That, you know, they have a, a you know, unique perspective and vantage point as an overseer of the church. They know how it's going to play out in their minds. And so many times what they do, they just ignore it. And they don't deal with it. But it's only going to get worse. you got to deal with it quickly. you got to deal with it when God said, deal with it. I believe we need to give people a chance. You know, don't go, you know, don't do this thing. I've seen people do this kind of thing too where a visitor comes to church and then everybody's grilling them on all their doctrine and stuff. And, you know, they, it's like, time out. You know, give people a chance. Give them time to rise up and to speak perverse things, you know. We need to understand people are going to have some baggage. But, you know, there's something that drew drew them over here. Give people a chance. It took a lot of teaching. It took a lot of after church discussions for you to understand what you understand. And if you think somebody's just going to walk in here and then maybe we give them a 10 minute video to watch explaining some doctrine, they're just going to have it all figured out. You're crazy. It's okay if people are confused and messed up on a lot of issues as long as they're not causing division. As long as they're not causing problems in the church, you know, we'll put up, we're, we'll give them a chance. But at the same time, you know, some places are too anxious, you know, to take these people out. It's like, no, no, we need to, we need to give people a chance. We need to have some wisdom there. But, uh, you know, Titus 3.10 says, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject knowing that he is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. And understand somebody, something about heresy. Heresy, you know, it's, it's more than just false doctrine, but it's a false doctrine that people are using to cause division. Okay? And so somebody 
can just be kind of neutral or they just don't know much on something. But again, if they're not causing division, they're not a problem. And so, you know, we have that old Catholic lady that just gets saved, starts coming to the church. You better believe there's going to be some baggage that she has. And we're not going to, you know, just run her through the ringer, grill her on her second Sunday here, and then throw her out of the church if she's not where we are on the reprobate doctrine. Okay? That's not, that's not going to happen. We're, we're going to be patient. But let me tell you, when you start causing division, when you start causing problems, then yes, we will deal with it. We have to deal with it. And it's no fun. It's not, battles aren't fun. But if we don't deal with it, we got a bigger problem later. And so we're going to learn. We're going to learn from these stories. And the last thing too is just false doctrine itself or leaven. Now look what it says in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. It says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty whereof Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. They had people that were trying to add works of the law to salvation. And Paul, and it was just little ones. It was just mainly one. Circumcision. This is one thing. I mean, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I believe it's salvation by faith. You know, but, but baptism too. It's just one more work. But hey, you add any works to it, it's, then there's no salvation. You've missed it. You've fallen from grace. You add anything to it. Except for we through the hope of the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well. Who did, hinder, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Somebody was telling them stuff. Somebody's teaching them false doctrine. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. You didn't get this from the Holy Spirit. That's what everybody wants to do. Well, the Holy Spirit showed me this. The Holy Spirit showed you something that's contrary to the Bible. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. And that's another lesson for another day. But then he says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You add just a little bit of false doctrine messes it all up. And, you, and, and here's the thing too. Some false doctrines by themselves, by itself, they do have very little consequence. But when we decide to hang on to that false doctrine, when we've been corrected, it does have the potential to stop us from moving forward you know, in our growth if we refuse to give it up. You know, and depending how big of a deal we make about that doctrine it can start to allow us to mess up other doctrine because we're so desperate to hang on to it. So, for example, you know, the pre-trib doctrine. When it comes to that by itself, it's, it's, there's not that much consequence to it. Okay? There, there, re- there really isn't that much co- by itself. But, you know what happens? Many people, because of that teaching, they hit a dead end when it comes to their understanding of the Bible because there's so many things that don't make sense. And it's like when you... When you can overcome that hurdle, it's just like all of a sudden now so much more Bible makes sense. And you say, well, why would that affect things? Because it does. When you're, when you're married to a false doctrine, a lot of the people, it's amazing the lengths they'll go to and the doctrines that they will pervert to hang on to that. And you have people that are just kind of neutral on it and, you know, they're fine. They're not, they're not moving forward, but, you know, they're not really doing any harm. They're not causing any problems. They're still good Christians. But you have some people, they've been corrected, they're stubborn, and then you know what they end up doing? 
they end up going so deep into trying to protect that, they end up starting to teach, you know, the multiple gospels and things like that, that, you know, tribulation, salvation, that's faith plus works. And so, you know, all that's a really dangerous thing right there. And so the thing is, as a church, you know, we always want to be moving forward. We always want to be growing in our understanding. And so, you know, we're always kind of advancing in these areas. And many times, though, there are there's going to be situations where for some reason people come in and they are just married to some weird doctrine that's just a little off. That, you know, it's not a salvation issue, but they get so stubborn about it, they start perverting all these other scriptures in order to hang on to it. And you know, when that happens, we have to deal with it. Because again, there's that little leaven leavening the whole lump. And it's okay if people come and they have some problems, but hopefully over time, we're getting rid of those things. Hopefully over time, we're removing that because none of us knows everything there is to know about the Bible. And, we're, and it's not a requirement for membership to just you know have everything down. As long as people are going in the right direction and as long as we're moving forward, and but at some many times what ends up happening in a church, it comes to a place where maybe there's confusion or disagreement and there isn't unity. And then instead of figuring it out, hey, we got to get this thing figured out, they ignore it. And then we've got a bigger problem later. And you know what? I believe, this is, this is what I believe. I believe in this church we are here where we are today because we dumped that bad doctrine of, of the pre-trib. Now, being post-trib alone, it, did, it doesn't make us a better church. But you know what it did? It enabled us to continue learning many other wonderful truths that we would not have known because we busted through that brick wall. We got through that brick wall. It helped us dump a loyalty you know, to the IFB establishment and it, pro- and it proved to all of us, it proved to me, it proved to God, it proved to everyone here, a loyalty to the Scriptures. Now, when, when that all went down, you know, it was a battle I didn't really feel like fighting. You know, we were a new church. We were only, I think, three or four years uh, into this church. And the last thing I wanted to deal with was a split. I mean, we were only running probably 30 around that time on, on a good It was always a great day when we had 40 people in church. And I remember just thinking, man, you know, and I was working full time. It seemed like it was just going to be forever before, you know, we get to that next level. But I'm telling you, I just, I couldn't get past it. Like, I gotta get this, I, I gotta figure this out. I, I've got, and, and we've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with this because in my mind, it's like, if I, if I don't, if I don't deal with this now, because I was pretty sure that was wrong. I was like, if I don't deal, but at the same time too, I was pretty sure we we're going to have a church split. And I remember thinking, if, if I don't deal with this now, I'm never going to have the freedom to preach the Bible the way it needs to be preached. And so it was just like, let's rip the band-aid off, you know? And, and you know what? God blessed, and we didn't have any casualties as a result of it. God blessed us. God blessed us anyway. And I, I think it, it's, it, I know it strengthened our church, and our church has grown as a result of that. I think, and I do, I think if we'd have left it there, I think we'd, we'd still be around, but we'd just be kind of lame. You know, I, I, I'll bet we wouldn't have as many people hating on us. But I'll bet we wouldn't be getting as many people saved. You know, I'll bet we wouldn't. Uh, there's a lot of things that we, that we wouldn't see, you know, ha, had it not been for that. And because it is, you know, when you're early in a church, you don't want to fight those battles. You don't have a, you don't want to have a church split three years into your church. But 
it's better to do it then than now. Because you know what? You know, let's just say we still grew the same numerically now, but you all hadn't had the same growth spiritually because the teaching hasn't been very good. Well, now it would be a greater temptation for me to compromise because, well, man, I just only went full time for the last year. If I have a split now, we just got this new building. I got to go back to, you know, Walmart, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, we, we can't do that. But, you know, hey, guess what? We got it over with already. That battle's long gone. We're not going to have to fight that one anymore. That's, that's not gonna, that's, that one's not going to be a problem. And we can actually enjoy the blessings that we have right now. So we should always be a forward-thinking people. We should always be more concerned about the future than the present. We all should be more concerned about how this church will be for our children than it is for us right now. That needs to be our mentality. We should want a great church for our children, for our grandchildren, and we should have a picture in our mind of what that church will look like. We ought to have something in our mind. What will that church look like? And then, you know, we need to have the wisdom to know what needs to be done to make that happen. And to know, and, and we need to have the wisdom to know what things will prevent that from happening. And I, I believe the main things that we see are, are these things of just sin in the camp. We just, we can't, can't be wicked, folks. You need to try to live like a Christian. We're going to have to keep the enemies out. We're going to have to deal with false doctrine and we're going to have to fight battles that we don't feel like fighting. We're going to have to do things that make us uncomfortable. We're going to have to do stuff that makes us unpopular. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to please God. We're trying to do what God has commanded us to do. And I believe if we do, then God will continue to bless. Let's learn from these things. All these things, those things with the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, the stories of Joshua, they were written for our admonition. God made sure those things were recorded and preserved because He wanted His church to have them in the future. He wanted Liberty Baptist Church to look at those stories and say, wow, look at what happened when they just didn't completely obey. They, they obeyed for the most part. God did a lot of great things, but He never did everything that He said He would have done because they didn't do what everything God said to do. Let's not make that same mistake. Let, let's learn from this. And let's fight these battles. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for this example uh, in Your Word. And Lord, I pray You'll help us, Lord, to help us not to be a contentious church and uh, with just a bad attitude. But Lord, I pray You'll help us to be ready to uh, just take up arms, spiritually speaking, and to fight uh, whenever uh, You call for us to. And I pray You'll help us to be bold. And Lord, we, we know that You can give us the victory and that You will give us the victory. And so just help us to have the faith to just trust you and just in, in spite of what we think is going to happen if we fight these battles, help us to ignore those consequences knowing you've always got something better for us. In your name we pray. Amen.